So if, you, if you've been with us here at Hope over the past few months, you know that we have been working our way through the book of First Samuel, looking at the history of kingship, the rise of kingship in Israel. But we're taking a quick break for the Christmas season from that series, and we're going to do a short mini-series looking at the theme of shepherds, shepherds and, and sheep. And so it connects both to where we are in 1 Samuel with David as the shepherd of Israel. Uh, it connects into the Christmas season where we have so many depictions of, of sheep and shepherds out watching their, their sheep at night. And, and it will be a, an opportunity for us to reflect on the Lord as our shepherd and, and our dependence on him for, for everything. And as we think about this theme, a natural place to start is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and it's the 23rd Psalm. And I'm, I'm just curious, I, I don't mean to put people on the spot, but this is probably the most commonly memorized passage in the Bible. How many of you have memorized the 23rd Psalm at some point in your life? Just put your hand up. If, okay, so... Yeah, so this is a, a very, a, a lot of people memorize the 23rd Psalm. The, the 23rd Psalm is, is also has a special place in the hearts of, of many people because it's often read at funerals. It gives comfort to those who, who are suffering, who are going through hardship. And so it's, it's a hard passage to preach for that reason because it's so familiar that we can often fail to pay attention to the details of this beautiful, memorable psalm. And so let's read it together, and then we'll begin to, to dive into it, applying it to our lives today. So again, this is Psalm 23. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, today we come to you broken, beat down, helpless, but your word speaks to us with power. And so as we look at this familiar yet beautiful section of the Bible, we pray that we will move past our preconceived notions, that you will give us eyes of faith to see you in the psalm, to see Christ in the psalm, to see our true condition, our true need, and that your word as the 
sharp two-edged sword would accomplish its work in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was praying about in the the pastoral prayer, there is a, a noted mental health crisis in our country. According to the CDC and their website, more than one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. One in five youth ages 13 to 18, either currently or at some point during their life, have had a serious, debilitating mental illness. I saw an article from a major newspaper stating that last year was a record for suicides in the U.S., that there is a sense of struggle, of hopelessness, of despair in the world around us. And maybe you feel that to one degree or another. Maybe you are actively struggling. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel depressed. And maybe that's even as a professed Christian where you feel unable to even admit that you're struggling because you're told sometimes in the the wider Christian world that if you're a believer, everything should be great. Your life should be perfect, and so you wonder why you struggle in life, that there is struggle in the world, there's struggle in our church. And so how do we begin to face these mental, emotional, spiritual struggles? Well, there's more than than we could possibly say in, in one sermon, but I want to suggest that Psalm 23 is a powerful tool for anyone who is struggling, whether it's a clinical struggle or just the the normal up-and-down struggle of daily life, that that Psalm 23 should be in your your spiritual toolbox, that it's something that you can pull out on dark days to be encouraged, to be comforted, that you can meditate on this psalm and that you can find great strength from the Word of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk phrase by phrase through the psalm. And so I would encourage you to leave your Bible open in front of you. But we're going to focus especially on verse 1. And so if you're, if you're taking notes and you're thinking, he said he's going to go through the whole psalm, he's spending a long time on verse 1. When is this sermon going to end? Um, that In a sense, verse 1 encapsulates the entire psalm. So we'll spend a long time on verse 1, and then out of that we'll walk phrase by phrase through the rest of the psalm. So let's start then with the very very beginning of verse 1. And this is, in a sense, modeling how you can walk through a a psalm as you are, are struggling in your daily life. And so let's take that very first phrase, the Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. But again, we're going to focus on that phrase, the Lord is. And you'll notice in your Bible that there's a capital L-O-R-D, that it's the, the name of God, Yahweh. And that's how the, the translators show us this, this special name of God, uh, when it's in capital letters. And this is the, the name of God that was 
revealed to Moses as he was on the, the mountain with the burning bush. And you remember how God said to, to Moses in Exodus 6, 2-3, that I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So you'll notice that God is calling this his special name. That it's, it's the name of, of God that couldn't be applied to any false god around the ancient Israelites. Because even the word Elohim, God in Hebrew, could be used of a false god. You could have a false Elohim or a true Elohim, but you couldn't have a false Yahweh and a true Yahweh that it was God's name, a special name for the God of Israel alone. And it occurs over 5,321 times in the Old Testament. And the significance is that it actually comes from the Hebrew word to be, that it's, it's a statement of God being the great I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And so that this name of God, Yahweh, it, it speaks to the independence of God, to his transcendence. You can think of the, the burning bush. You remember the story when God reveals this name. He's speaking as the fire out of the, the bush. But the fire is burning in the bush, but the bush is not consumed. And that's an image of, of what this name Yahweh is communicating, that, that he is independent of his creation, that he's not dependent on the creature to be who he is, that he says, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, that I am the sovereign, holy God. And so it shows the transcendence of God, but this name also communicates the, the covenant faithfulness of God. Because in Exodus 3, when God reveals this name, he says, I am who I am. I am the transcendent God. But he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Again, thinking of that image of the burning bush, that the fire is in the bush. It's not dependent on the bush to burn, but yet it is present within, around the bush. And that's the image of of God as well. He's not dependent on his creation, but he is faithful. He's here. He's with us, that he expresses his, his love, his goodness for us throughout our life. And so then as we turn back to the psalm, you can see why it's appropriate that he adds the second half of that sentence. The Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. Of course, that tells something about you and me, that if God is the shepherd, that we are the sheep. And there's a, a wonderful book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. And he served as a pastor for a time, but then also as a shepherd. 
And so he walks through this psalm, looking at it from the perspective of someone who has worked with sheep. And he points out how sheep are completely dependent, that some animals can survive in the wild. You could think of something like a donkey. You can have a wild donkey or a domesticated donkey, but they can survive on their own. They can protect themselves from predators. But that sheep will die without human care, that they are completely and utterly dependent. They can't shear themselves when their wool grows too thick. They can't even find food that won't poison them. Um, and as we'll see, that they, they need, need to be constantly watched or they're going to get in trouble. They are dependent. And then they have this terrible combination of being both completely dependent but then also wayward, where they wander away looking for new grass. Um, and, and so they think that they can make it on their own, but then they end up in a ditch or a hole somewhere, unable to save themselves. So again, dependent, wayward. And that sounds a lot like humans, that, that we are thoroughly dependent on God, that we can't sustain our life for a single moment apart from the mercy and the grace of God, but yet we are wayward like sheep, that we wander away thinking that we can find better pasture or a better life on our own. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, that we are a lot like sheep. But then if we're like sheep, David is saying that the Lord, Yahweh, is like a shepherd. And that, that image of the shepherd encapsulates so much about the name Yahweh. In a way, it, it does it in a more immediate way than if we had a didactic description. If, if, we, if you tried to describe who is the Lord and use only formal theological language— we could know a lot, but it could be academic and dry. But when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, it carries this huge freight of meaning and significance. Because just as the Lord, as Yahweh, is independent, is sovereign, so the shepherd is, in a sense, independent of his sheep. He is above his sheep. He is Lord and master over the sheep. But also, just as the Lord is the covenant God who, who dwells in the midst of his people, so the Lord is as a shepherd. Because that's what a shepherd would do, that the shepherd had to live with the sheep constantly. He couldn't just leave the sheep in the pasture and go away on vacation for the summer, that every day, day and night, he had to, to watch, attentively guarding the sheep. And that's exactly what the Lord does for us as well. So this is great comfort, that if you're struggling this morning, if it's emotional struggle, physical struggle, spiritual struggle, to know that you are a wayward, dependent sheep, but also that you have a shepherd who is powerful and wise and who is dwelling with you in the pasture of life to protect you and to defend you. 
And so then the question for all of us as we examine this is that can we say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? Some of you might say the Lord is a shepherd, or maybe he's a shepherd for someone else. Maybe you even grew up in church, and you've been around believers your entire life, and you can rattle off truths about God, but if you really look in your heart, you can't say, the Lord is my shepherd, because you don't know him in a personal way. And if that's where you are, the it's always on offer to acknowledge yourself to be completely dependent, to be completely wayward in and of yourselves, and to look to God in Christ. That when we, when we turn to Christ in faith, that we can say then, the Lord is not just a shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, comforting me in all the struggles of my life today. But as we look back at the psalm, we said, the Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And since that third phrase there, it, it's the application of the first sentence. In my translation, the English Standard Version, there's a, there's a semicolon that it's connecting these two ideas. In the sense, there's an implied therefore, that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Or you can listen to it in a few other translations. The New Living Translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Or the NIV, that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And I was helped in thinking about this by a, a commentary by a pastor, um, a late pastor uh, named Jim Boyce, who used to pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And as he walked through this psalm, he, he saw the, the rest of the psalm as, in a, in a sense, unpacking that phrase, I shall not want. And so I told you that we were going to camp out on verse 1, and then we're going to move faster through the rest of the psalm. And so that's where, where we're turning now to see how, as, as we look at what David says after verse 1, that it's all communicating this idea that I have no lack if God is truly my shepherd. And I'm borrowing Boyce's outline. He has six words that he uses to encapsulate this. And so first, I shall not lack rest... Because, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, that I shall not lack rest. In that book I was talking about where the shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm, he talks about how sheep are very anxious creatures, that if they feel unsafe or threatened in any way, that they'll, they'll be unable to, to lie down in green pastures, that they... They tend to, to wander around the pasture, and they can become completely exhausted and, and sick uh, because of their, their fear and their anxiety. But that when they know a shepherd, and they know the shepherd will protect them, that, that they can then lie down and rest. 
And he said that when you see sheep lying down, it's a sign that they have a good shepherd who protects them and takes care of them and deals with all of their diseases and infirmities. And of course, it's the same for us, that when we forget that God is our shepherd, that we can never truly rest, that we're full of anxiety constantly, that our mind is constantly running. But when we can really meditate on the truth that the Lord is my shepherd, that we can know that, that he makes us lie down in green pastures, that we have rest in him, that we can let go of trying to control everything in our life. So that's the first word, that I shall not lack rest. But then here's the, the second word, that I shall not lack life. Because, verse 3, he restores my soul. And again, that, that book on sheep connected to the psalm, he talks about how there's this major problem for a shepherd, and it's called a cast sheep. Um, and so apparently what will happen is that the sheep, when they feel safe, they'll lie down in green pastures. But sometimes they'll, they'll find a little indentation that's comfy, and they'll They'll, they'll lie down, um, but then especially if they're fat and have a lot of wool, that they'll kind of roll onto their back, and then their feet lose contact with the ground, and they start to struggle and frail, flail, and they can't move themselves back up, that they're, they're stuck on their back. And so as they, as they panic, uh, their, their body begins to fill with gases. They lose uh, blood to their legs, and then within a few hours, the, the cast sheep can die. And so the faithful shepherd is constantly counting the sheep, watching the sheep to make sure that, that no sheep is missing. And if a sheep's missing, he begins to look around, knowing that he only has a few hours before this sheep would die. And so when he finds that sheep, he restores it, puts it on its feet again, um, perhaps even massages its legs to get the blood flowing again. And that's the image of what God does for us. That we can be like sheep in the sense that we get fat and comfortable. That we, we lie down in green pastures, but then we begin to take that for granted. And then suddenly we find ourselves stuck, unable to, to move or flailing around, trying to find a way forward in life. And then it's the, the good shepherd who, who seeks us out, who in his mercy and his grace puts us on our spiritual feet again, sustains us with his powerful word that without the good shepherd, we would all be like cast sheep and unable to stand on our spiritual feet. And so that's the, the second word, that I shall not lack life. But then here's the, the third word, I shall not lack guidance. Guidance, because verse 3 he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I remember a, a professor in seminary talking about a trip that he made to the Middle East, and he saw a, a shepherd with the sheep. And you would kind of expect the shepherd to stand behind the sheep as he leads them to a, a new pasture, pushing them forward. But that the shepherd actually goes in front of the sheep, and if the sheep know the shepherd, they'll follow the shepherd where they need to go. And so the, the image here for us is that 
the Lord is the one leading us, and he's leading us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it's not our righteousness ultimately, but it's the righteousness of Christ that that when we repent and trust in him, we're counted as righteous. And when, when Jesus, our shepherd, is in front of us and we follow him, he leads us into the paths of, of his righteousness. Again, that's the, the third word, guidance. So we said, I shall not lack rest, life, guidance. But then fourth, I shall not lack safety. Safety. Because verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So apparently sheep, especially in the, the Near East, they might be in a, in a valley during the winter, but then when it starts to get hot, they have to go to high ground in the surrounding mountains. And so in order to get there, they have to go through valleys and, and dry riverbeds. And as they pass through these, these valleys of, of death where there's no water, that if they stayed there very long, they would die. And they were susceptible to attack from wild beasts, and they're completely defenseless. And so as they, they go to the high pastures that they have to be constantly vigilant. And it's the, the shepherd with his rod, and again, shepherds, especially in the developing world, still carry these as their primary tools, a rod with a big stick that you use to, to beat off wild animals that would attack the sheep, and then a staff that you use to pull your sheep out of a ditch when they're in trouble. And so there's this, this safety that the sheep will fear no evil because the Lord is with them. And it's the same for you and for me, that we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe some of you are in the valley of the shadow of death this morning. Maybe some of you will go through the valley of the shadow of death in the future. But when you are in that valley, you can remember that you have a shepherd who is there with you, that he has the rod, the, the sword of the Spirit to protect you, that he has the staff to pull you out. He has the, the rod as his royal scepter, that when you are in his arms, that you actually are safe, that you can say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So again, we shall lack no safety. We won't lack rest, life, guidance, safety. But then fifth, I shall not lack provision because, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, some scholars think that David switches the metaphor here, that he has been talking about sheep, but now he talks about the Lord preparing a table, and sheep don't typically eat at tables, and, and then also for, for the, the non-shepherd reader, we think, well, why would you anoint a, a sheep with oil? And how could their cup overflow? But I was very much helped by this as I was working my way through that book on the shepherd. Because apparently, the, as the sheep are taken, as I said, from in the 
Some are to the high country that, that it's essentially table land, that they're, they're, they're brought up onto a table of, of pasture, but that the sheep, if you just let the sheep into the field, that they're going to eat all of the, the poisonous plants and die. And so the, the shepherd has to go in advance through the, through the pastures and pull out all of the, the poisonous food. That, and he drives away all the, the wild animals. And so in a sense, it's the, a table land being prepared for the sheep in advance before they get there so that they can feast and become strong and, and healthy. And that's exactly what, what God does for us, that, that he prepares a table for us, that he prepares a, a bountiful feast of his word for us to, to feed every week, every day, to know that, that he has the spiritual sustenance that we need in order to, to be strong in our walk with him. Again, I shall not lack provision. But then finally, I shall not lack a home. Because, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is a really surprising change for the for the psalm, that, that he's using this, this, this imagery of sheep. But then, as he turns to the very end of the psalm, he says that, sh- that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so it, it's this imagery of going from the, from the field all the way to the home of the, of the shepherd, that the, 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 the filthy, smelly sheep get a place with God in his house forever. Uh, and and th- that's what we're celebrating in the Christmas season. That's why it's, it's fitting to look at this as the, the beginning of the Advent season, because at Christmas we're celebrating the king becoming a shepherd to dwell among the sheep. Or you could think about it a different way, that we're celebrating the shepherd becoming a sheep, taking on the nature of the sheep, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that, that he comes into the, the pastures of this world, that, that he enters the valley of the shadow of death on the cross, and he, he dies. He, the, the, the shadow of death overwhelms Jesus as he, as he is on the cross. But all along, he identifies himself as the good shepherd, that he is the one who came to, to rescue us from sin and death from ourselves, that, that he is the one who, who leads us from the, the fields and dangerous pastures of this life and then takes us all the way to his home to dwell with him forever, to, that the, the sheep are adopted into the family of the king. And that's the, the good news that we have as believers who follow Christ. Now, if you're here and you've never repented and, and trusted in Christ, uh, as, we, as we come to this meal, uh, we would encourage you to, to watch, to not partake of this if you've never repented and trusted in Jesus. And we always say that's not to exclude anyone, but it's actually to guard you against hypocrisy, to guard you against going through outward religious motions that don't reflect what you truly believe in your heart. 
But if you are a believer, if you have repented and, and trusted in Christ, if you've made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, then this is a meal that the Lord has prepared for you. That this is not the table of Hope Church. This is not the table of the Presbyterian Church in America. This is the table of the Lord, that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that our cup overflows, and that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life because of Jesus' sacrificial life for us, his sacrificial death, so that when we repent and trust in him, we can experience hope and peace and and that knowledge of his safety and protection through all of the struggles of life. Then ultimately we come as those that can profess the faith that we hold together. So I'd encourage you to turn with me to, to page 9. So this, we have the, the Nicene Creed. And this was written in 325, and then revised in 381. So this is, this is ancient, thousands of years old. But it's a summary of the, the mission of the Son of God to come and dwell among the sheep so that we can have life and hope and safety in him. So let's read this together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with him the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So in the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so come forward in any order. Uh, you can come down the, the middle. I'll be standing here with the bread. I can break off a piece and give it to you. Um, John will be here holding the juice. You can take the cup, return this way to your, your chair, uh, and then we'll take it together at the end. 
Uh, we also have gluten-free here on the table. It has both the bread and the juice. And so if you need that, feel free to come up the line and grab one of these off the table. And then if mobility is an issue, you can raise your hand, and Ernie will be happy to bring this to you uh, as well. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are the Lord. You are Yahweh, the great I am. You are the, the fire speaking from the burning bush, this holy, eternal fire. Lord, you are not dependent on us to be who you are, but yet you condescend, you reach down, yet you are on the, the ship of salvation and that you throw down the life preserver and you give us the, the strength in our spiritual deadness to, to take hold. Lord, we pray for those who are here who may not be taking this meal today, that they uh, will know that, that you are a shepherd. And I pray for everyone here that, that we can know you not just as a shepherd, but our shepherd, that we can know your provision, your care. Lord, I, I do pray, though, for those who don't know you here, that, that this could be a, an important stop on the journey on the way to Christ, to the celestial city, Lord, that, that this service could be an important milestone in the life of, of someone here or someone watching online, Father. But for believers, Lord, we are often like sheep going astray. We are often cash sheep that end up fat and happy on our backs until we realize we can't get on our own feet, that we need the good shepherd. We need Christ to constantly feed us. And Lord, this, as we come to this meal, that we would see it as the table that you have prepared, not to strengthen us physically, but to give us spiritual strength by your Holy Spirit who is present with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now please stand if you're able, and you can turn the page to our final song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. <laughs> 